With the epidemic under control, the government has announced a new round of ease restrictions. Starting this week, indoor venues like movie theaters will no longer be capped at 80 people. Outdoor events will be allowed to host more than 300 people, although venues must only be at 50% capacity. Starting October 5th, measures will be relaxed further, with arcades and karaoke parlors allowed to reopen. As Taiwan has reported several consecutive days without local COVID infections, the CCC is lifting COVID restrictions. According to the new rules, eating and drinking are now allowed in the paid area of the TRA and HSR, but the ban will remain on the trains themselves. Coach buses can now operate at full capacity. At arts performances, exhibitions and sporting events, real name registration, mask mandates and bans on food and drink will remain. However, there will no longer be a limit of 80 people at indoor events and staggered seating will no longer be required. Outdoor events are no longer restricted to 300 people at most, but they will be limited to 50% capacity. In addition, some leisure and entertainment venues will be allowed to reopen from October 5th. The kinds of businesses that will be allowed to reopen are basically gaming arcades, internet cafes, MTVs, karaoke parlors and booths, board game cafes and mahjong clubs. Face masks must stay on at all times during karaoke, be it in an individual booth or at a parlor. Meanwhile, patrons will have to sit spaced apart at MTV viewing rooms. No eating or drinking will be allowed. After use, karaoke rooms and private multimedia viewing rooms must be sanitized and the room must be kept empty for at least 30 minutes between sessions. Venues must have good ventilation and air flushing must be completed once every two hours. Facilities with karaoke machines, such as some borough community centers, must also abide by the rules. They must implement COVID measures, such as in KTVs. But if those in charge are unable to implement such measures, then the equipment should not be put out for use. Board game cafes and mahjong clubs are also on the reopening list after being closed for months. At both kinds of venues, dividers will have to be up between players. When game pieces or elements are touched by several players, must disinfect their hands before and after the game. They must also wear gloves throughout. Game pieces must also be disinfected, with 15 minutes of downtime between each group of players. In addition, adult recreation venues, including dance halls, nightclubs, pubs, bars, and beauty parlors must remain closed. Turning now to the vaccination campaign, Taiwan has administered 14.43 million doses for one-dose coverage of 52.35%. The CCC was asked to respond to reports that another 550,000 Pfizer vaccines will arrive this Thursday. It is said it would not confirm the exact delivery date. It also denied that this incoming batch would be reserved for people waiting on a second dose of Moderna. As for waitlist registration, it's now open for second shots of AstraZeneca. The target group is people who received their first AZ shot at least 10 weeks before September 30th. In addition, people aged 50 to 64 can go online to register for their first shot of AZ registration closes on Wednesday at noon. If Taiwan joins the CPTPP, who will gain and who will lose? That was a question lawmakers asked ministers on Monday. Taiwan has applied to join a trade group known as the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP. 
According to Taiwan's ministers, membership will likely hurt the domestic auto industry and certain products in the agricultural sector. However, total agricultural exports are expected to rise by at least 50 billion NT dollars within five years of joining. At the Legislative Yuan, ministers took questions on the impact of the CPTPP on the sectors of Taiwan's economy. There will be a relatively large impact on the domestic auto industry. Initially, the food processing industry was very worried, but following the formation of the RCEP, our food processing industry felt that Taiwan should hurry to join the CPTPP. I think the CPTPP will absolutely be very important for national development. We'll be able to export certain agricultural products, such as edamame, tuna and eel, to Japan in large quantities without having to pay 6 to 20 percent in tariffs. Of course, a small number of products will be negatively affected, but we'll take notes from Japan, Canada and Vietnam on that. We're extremely confident we'll be able to protect some of the more sensitive agricultural products. We will also have complementary measures, such as insurance, cold chain processing plans, and so on. We can absolutely turn the negative into a positive. We've done the math. We'll certainly be able to boost exports by 50 billion NT. According to the agriculture chief, agriculture exports will rise by 50 billion NT within five years after joining. The projection was questioned by a DPP lawmaker. I would like to remind you to not embellish the figures. Here you are, boldly proclaiming that exports will certainly increase by 50 billion NT. You need to factor in the industries that will lose business. We arrived at the figure of 50 billion NT by looking at the growth of agricultural exports from 2016 to now. We worked out the averages and we saw that in the next five years, exports would grow by an average of 30 billion NT. Products with zero tariffs would add 20 billion NT. And this is just a low estimate. We haven't accounted for the products with reduced tariffs yet. Once those are lowered, there will be an additional export boost to consider. The agriculture minister defended Taiwan's bid to join the trade pact. A KMT lawmaker accused him of reversing his own position from 2014. Back then, you made a point of saying that joining the TPP would have a negative impact on Taiwan, that Taiwan would lose 80 billion NT in production value. So it seems that your stance has changed between today and the time when you were a professor. It absolutely hasn't changed. That appraisal report was confidential, and now someone has decided to publish it in a certain media outlet to generate controversy. The thing is that my appraisal back then had included the U.S. in the block and that it was mainly based on livestock. That free trade agreement would have completely opened up the livestock industry. My appraisal was based on what would happen if the sector was opened up completely without any protective measures on any products. The terms are completely different now. Taiwan's bid to join the CPTPP has caught international attention while becoming a hot topic of debate in Taiwan. The KMT's next chairman, Eric Chu, is already entangled in controversy just two days after his election. He'd received a congratulatory letter from China's Xi Jinping, who endorsed the 1992 consensus and voiced opposition to Taiwan independence. In his response, Chu said the same thing. On Monday, Taiwan's premier blasted Chu for echoing China's position. He also took issue with a key omission in Chu's letter to China's leader.
Eric Chu is on tour to thank his voters. Ahead of his taking office, controversy has struck the new chairman-elect over his exchange of letters with CCP General Secretary Xi Jinping. In his letter to Chu, Xi hailed the 1992 consensus and voiced opposition to Taiwan independence. He said that the cross-strait situation was complex and grim. He also expressed hope that both parties would work together to pursue, quote, national interests and to seek national unification. Chu, in his reply, blamed the state of cross-strait relations on the CCP, condemning the ruling party's anti-China and desinicization policies. As Xi had done, Chu endorsed the 1992 consensus and voiced opposition to Taiwan independence. He did not sign off with a mention of the Republic of China. He does not even dare to mention the Republic of China. From this, it can be clearly seen that when he says he loves Taiwan and will resolutely uphold national sovereignty, it is all false. Here, he had an opportunity to speak for the country and he did not make use of it, choosing instead to echo China. This is a source of disappointment. I am very disappointed with the reaction of the DPP, and particularly of Premier Su Zhenchang, who had the audacity to heap scorn on us. On Monday, a DPP lawmaker said Chu was deliberately ignoring the CCP's goal of annexing Taiwan. Eric Chu appears not to see the CCP's intention of annexing Taiwan. He doesn't see the CCP's military harassment of Taiwan or its diplomatic suppression of Taiwan. On January 2, 2019, the 1992 consensus was defined by Xi Jinping as one country, two systems. I believe that Eric Chu knows that. The Mainland Affairs Council took issue with the omission of Republic of China in Chu's letter. It said that China was harassing Taiwan militarily and diplomatically. It called on Chu to get a handle on the mainstream opinion in Taiwan. He should not be willfully ignorant of the facts as he caters to the other side of the strait. The CCP has created tension in the Taiwan Strait and undermined the status quo, but he blames everything on his own government. That runs counter to public opinion in Taiwan. For Premier Su Zhenchang and his Mainland Affairs Council, loving Taiwan means to stoke cross-strait conflict with a broom. I feel that such a premier deserves to be removed with a no-confidence vote. With dust settling on the KMT election, Chu is hitting the ground running on cross-strait relations. Let's head now to Miaoli to learn about the history of a unique Taiwanese delicacy. The crystal dumpling is a favorite in Miaoli County, where the smooth and sticky snack is a popular breakfast. We met one third-generation dumpling chef whose grandmother used to sell breakfasts with a traditional shoulder pull. The pandemic has hit the family business hard, but they're not giving up. Here in Nan Miao Food District, there's one word that jumps out from almost every sign. Crystal dumplings. Some shops offer fried egg noodles, some offer fried rice noodles, but crystal dumplings are ubiquitous. In pre-COVID days, this little eatery did brisk business on the strength of its crystal dumplings. This restaurant has been in business 60 years. The third-generation chef is still making crystal dumplings. 
All these skills were handed down from generation to generation from my grandparents. How to make crystal dumplings, how to fry noodles, how to deep fry lard. Chef Hu Hongwei told us how his grandmother used to sell rice noodles on the street with a shoulder carrying pole. Customers complained that just noodles on their own wasn't enough, so she added soup to her offer. He thinks that might be when crystal dumplings entered the menu too. When she was young, she would take her shoulder pole out into Miali City and sell the noodles on the street. It was just rice noodles at first. People said it was too dry, so she added some soup dishes. The dough is cut up and then pressed into dumpling skins by a machine. A meat filling is added and the dumplings are pressed into semicircles. Crystal dumplings are easy to cook. In Hakka villages, meat broth is used, with a sprinkling of fried chopped onions. Crystal dumplings are so silky smooth in the mouth, that's why everyone loves them. Hu himself took this photo of his grandmother. Underneath, he wrote the caption, founding the business. Hu is determined to make his family proud by serving up their must-eat crystal dumplings for generations to come. Field training is coming back to Taiwan's conscription program as part of a push to improve combat readiness. Effective immediately, conscripts are required to spend 11 weeks in combat training after completing boot camp. This combat training replaces the 11 weeks of specialty training that's currently required. Conscripts will now be randomly assigned to field units, including those on the frontline offshore islands. Giving conscripts some base experience will, at the very least, allow them to go home afterward with something gained. The assignments will extend to the outlying islands. I do worry about drawing the outlying islands, because it's not just about us and whether we are willing to go. We also sometimes have to consider our family members and whether they'll be worried about us. I don't think an assignment on Jimin and Matsu will have the same pressures as before. It won't be like the old battlefield days. It'll just be a little more difficult to go home. Taiwan had previously required field training for all conscripts up until 2018. In that year, it replaced the field training requirement with specialized classes. A mysterious white orb in the sky left many Taipei locals confounded on Monday. The internet was buzzing with chatter about the sighting. Some wondered if it was a planet or even a UFO, but the Taipei Astronomical Museum says the reality is probably much more mundane. Many people called into the Astronomical Museum to ask about the object. After some observation with a telescope, we realized it was just a balloon. If it were a celestial body, its movements would be still. It would be fixed in the sky. They usually don't move around, but this balloon was drifting slowly. The museum says the object was likely a weather balloon launched to diagnose conditions at high altitudes. But the mystery isn't all solved yet. The Central Weather Bureau says that, judging by the time and location of the sighting, this was not a balloon it released. A new made-in-Taiwan submarine that can carry two people has been tested properly for the first time. Researchers from National Sun Yat-sen University celebrated in Kaohsiung Harbor after their first manned submarine passed its test with flying colors. Next month, the researchers will take the vessel to the Liuchou Island for further tests in ocean waters. 
A mini submarine descends 5 meters into the water at Zhongqing Shipyard. This was the first time the life support systems of the vessel were tested repeatedly by an operator. Although it was only in the water an hour, this is a big milestone for the team. The ups and downs emotionally were fine, but I did feel seasick physically. We had to make contact every five minutes. Its life support systems were okay. The speed and navigation systems can all function normally, which means we've already passed a gigantic milestone. Taiwan's first mini-submarine weighs 3.5 metric tons and can carry two people inside. It's planned to be able to descend to depths of 500 meters below the surface, with a battery and life support systems that can handle eight hours. In case of emergency, the design should allow those inside to access oxygen, escape the vessel and float to the surface rapidly. Of course, it can be fitted with other things, more toward the defense side, such as detection devices and the like. That's another avenue of application. Another very important task is underwater rescue operations. So basically, we are building this platform to suit all kinds of undersea needs. Apart from carrying two people, the vessel can stabilize its course while underwater, a first for the universities made in Taiwan submarines. The biggest challenge here is actually carrying people. Of course you need a life support system. That's an issue we never encountered in the last 10 years while developing unmanned technologies. The team plans to take the sub to the south coast of Liuqiu Island in October. There, they can try it out on the more hazardous ocean waters going down 20 meters below the surface and contending with ocean waves and currents. If you ever got a ring stuck on your finger, would you know what to do? That's what happened to one man in Geelong recently. After fruitless trips to the hospital and to an ironmonger, he was at a loss. At last, he made it to the fire department, which was able to cut the ring off him without injuring his finger. As it turns out, that's just another part of the job of a firefighter. A firefighter manages to free the finger from the ring using a small metal cutter. The noise is enough to make your hair stand on end. The officer is wholly concentrated on getting that ring off safely. This photo shows how the affected finger swelled up like a piece of tempera. The ring left clear marks on the skin. Mr. Zhang from Jilong bought this ring at a night market a year ago. He had it on his ring finger at first, but days ago, switched it to his index finger. Then he was horrified to find out that it wouldn't come off. He went to a hospital and then an ironmonger, but got no help. As the days went on, his finger became swollen and turned purple. Finally, he heard the fire department could help. More and more people know that the fire department provides the service and they come here for help. So in our branch, we bought some tools, a small cutting device, as well as a pair of iron wire scissors for rings and pliers. We're prepared here in the branch. This is our cutter that goes with the grinding wheel. It's used to grind metal down. It grinds it down thinner and thinner, making it possible for us to cut the ring using our steel wire scissors or pliers. The Geelong Fire Department occasionally buys new tools to help make it easier to get people free from objects. Even straws can come in handy. To start with, we cut a straw and push it in between the ring and the finger. Then when we cut the ring off, we won't injure the finger. Officers still 
showed us how they first assess the material the ring is made from and how tight it is. Then a string is used to raise it from the surface of the skin and a groove is cut in the metal. Then a pair of scissors can cut it free. The whole process can take half an hour.